So, Nehemiah 12, here we are after a great revival that we've been observing over the last several weeks. The people of God completed their big task of rebuilding the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Then Ezra reads from God's word, his law, and God stirs up a revival among his people. There's joy and celebration. There's also mourning and weeping over sin. There's, there's feasting and fasting taking place. And there's a time of recommittal. The community repents and recommits themselves to the Lord in covenant faithfulness. That's what we saw from Nehemiah 6 through Nehemiah 10. Now at this point in Nehemiah 11 and 12, we're seeing how the people respond to the movement of God among them. How do they respond to this revival? Two weeks ago in Nehemiah 11, we saw that the people repopulate Jerusalem after the walls are rebuilt. We also saw that this wasn't the most desirable step for them to take, hence the, the, the casting of lots for them to go back into the city. Um, but that was important because Jerusalem is and always has been the center for God-ordained worship. It's the place, the only place, where God said he would set his name and his people would worship him there. So as we continue in Nehemiah 12 today, I want us to continue observing how the people of God respond to God moving among them. This is a climactic point in the series here. What we're also going to see is we're going to see some threads being pulled together from the book at this joyous point here in Nehemiah 12. The big idea of what we're going to see this morning from Nehemiah 12, which also encompasses much of the series that we've observed, is doing God's work in God's ways always results in joy and praise. Doing God's work in God's ways always results Enjoy and praise. That's what we're going to see here in Nehemiah 12. So I'll open up in a word of prayer, ask the Lord to lead us in his word, and then we'll read verses 1 through 26. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercies. We celebrate life in Christ together. Lord, open the eyes of our heart now to see and behold your beauty. Help us to see the fullness of your love for us through your word. Lord, that we would respond in a life of service, hearts fully poured out in dedication to you. Lord, that's what we want, so that you would be glorified and our joy would be made complete in you. So would you lead us toward that, when, toward, toward, toward that end in your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah 12, verses 1 through 26. Now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Sariah, Jeremiah, Ezra, Amariah, Maluk, Hattush, Shechaniah, Rehum, Merimoth, Edu, Ginnathoi, Ebijah, Mijamin, Maadeah, Bilga, Shemaiah, and Joyarib, 
Jediah, Salu, Amma, Hilkiah, and Jediah. These were the heads of the priests and their kinsmen in the days of Jeshua. The Levites were Jeshua, Binui, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Medaniah, who was in charge of the songs of thanksgiving, he and his brothers. Also, Bakbukiah and Uni, their brothers, stood opposite them in their service divisions. Jeshua became the father of Joachim, and Joachim became the father of Eliashib, and Eliashib became the father of Joida, and Joida became the father of Jonathan, and Jonathan became the father of Jadua. Now in the days of Joachim, the priests, the heads of the father's households were of Sariah, Mariah, of Jeremiah, Hananiah, of Ezra, Meshulam, of Amariah, Jehoanan, of, Ma- of Malukai, of Maluki, Jonathan, of Shebaniah, Joseph, of Harim, Adna, of Marioth, Helkai, of Edo, Zechariah, of Ginathon, Meshulam, of Abijah, Zikri, of Miniamin, of Moadiah, Piltai, of Bilga, Shemua, of Shemaiah, Jehonathan, of Joyarib, Madani, of Jediah, Uzi, of Salai, Kalai, of Amak, Eber, of Hilkiah, Hashabiah, of Jediah, Nathanael. As for the Levites, the heads of the father's households were registered in the days of Eliashib, Joida, and Jehoanan, and Jadua. So were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. The sons of Levi, the heads of the father's households, were registered in the book of the Chronicles up to the days of Jehoanan, the son of Eliashib. The heads of the Levites were Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers opposite them, to praise and give thanks, as prescribed by David, the man of God, division corresponding to division. Medaniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers, keeping watch at the storehouses of the gates. These served in the days of Joachim, the son of Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. So, first thing we see, surprise, another list of names. I know you didn't see that one coming. This was the last list of names in the series. Hey, we shouldn't be celebrating that. Because we saw how important these lists were, right? They are not to be overlooked. This is God's very word that he kept extended lists for us, for, for our profit, for our gain. We've seen over and over again the importance of these lists. They represent the community of God's people. That's especially important in this book. Remember, since the first sermon in the series back in the fall, Ezra 1, the main character of this book is the community of God's people. God accomplishes his work through his people. Don't forget that. That has immediate implications for us today. In this passage, it's the priests and the Levites who are documented, representing their families by extension. And here we have some throwback names you all remember, right? Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Ezra, names we've heard over and over again. We've been seeing these names since the beginning, as well as some newer names, Joachim, Eliashib, and Bakbukaya. That's a cool name. 
That's a cool name. Bakbukaya, Bakbukia, however you say it, that's cool. Bakbuk for short, Buki. I guarantee some of his boys called him Buki. That's a cool name. That, his name, Bakbukaya, means the Lord pours out. Come on, that's good. Completely irrelevant, but that's good. What we see here are the two generations in these lists represented, the two generations of God's people representing the whole community of God over all three movements from Ezra 1 to Nehemiah 7, indicating everyone has a role in God's work. It was clearly important to God's people to document very carefully who among their members served as priests in the temple. The people took their responsibility to serve God very seriously. Now, there are many responsibilities for priests, as we know, but what's interesting to note here is that the only responsibility listed for the priests is leading in praise and thanksgiving. Verses 8 and 24. Praise and worship in song was a vital aspect of communal life for the people of God. God's people doing God's work consisted of praising him with songs of thanksgiving. That's what we're seeing here. Let's move on. Nehemiah 12, 27 through 30. Now, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving and with songs to accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal and from their fields in Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages around Jerusalem. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates and the wall. So now it becomes clear what they're preparing to do. After completing the wall, reforming the community around God's word, responding in revival, the people of God are now preparing to dedicate the wall to God. And what's also clear is this is going to be a blowout of a celebration. This is going to be a celebration. First, what do they do first? The people try to round up as many Levite priests as possible from the villages throughout Judea. And remember, this, this, this is not so easy because not many Levites came back. Remember in the last two movements? Remember Ezra 8 in the second movement? They needed to stop after leaving Babylon. Remember Ezra stopped because he realized not a single Levite was with them. They had to go back and get the Levites to come with them back to Jerusalem. So here they wanted to make sure that they had as many Levite priests as possible present for the celebration. And now they're ready to celebrate. 
Verse 27 says, with gladness, songs, hymns, cymbals, harps, lyres, joy and thanksgiving will dominate this celebration. And we've seen this before. In Ezra 3, at first, at the completion of the altar and the foundation, remember? And then Ezra 6, at the completion of the temple, both accomplishments celebrated with joy and thanksgiving to God. Now, verse 30 is interesting. Before the commencement of the dedication service, the priests and the Levites purified themselves. Scripture says they also purified all the people and the gates and the walls of the city. In other words, they purified the whole city of God. Remember what we've seen throughout this series, that in Ezra Nehemiah, the house of God, the very thing that, that the people of God are being called to return and rebuild, the house of God really consists of the temple, the city walls, and the people of God that fill the city. That's what we've seen throughout the series. The people acknowledge here that they must be holy and pure if God was going to accept them and the city as his holy possession once again. They must be pure. This is interesting because you would have expected that this dedication here in Nehemiah 12, you would have expected this to be on the heels of Nehemiah 6, right when they finished completing the walls. But it's here, quite a ways later, likely because the building project Following the building project, it was vital for the people to repopulate Jerusalem, the center of God-ordained worship, and purify themselves before the dedication. Holiness always precedes happiness for God's people. Holiness always precedes true happiness for God's people. So now, the singers, the priests, and the people are assembled. They've been purified, and they're ready to begin. Let's see what happens next. Verses 31 through 43. Then I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs, the first proceeding to the right on top of the wall toward the refuse gate, Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah followed them, with Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the sons of the priests with trumpets, and Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Medaniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph, and his kinsmen, Shemaiah, Azarel, Melilai, Gilalai, Mai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God, and Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went directly up the steps of the city of David by the stairway of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. 
The second choir proceeded to the left, while I followed them with half of the people on the wall, above the Tower of Furnaces to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, by the old gate, by the fish gate, the Tower of Hananel, and the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped at the gate of the guard. Then the two choirs took their stand in the house of God. So did I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elioenai, Zechariah, and Hanani, and with the trumpets, and Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehoanan, Melchizedek, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezariah their leader, and on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. First thing to note here, Nehemiah enters back in as the narrator in verse 31, first person, I brought the leaders. We haven't heard from Nehemiah himself since chapter 7. Nehemiah now is sharing his experience of the celebration. And wow, what a celebration service. Nehemiah has all the leaders come up on top of the wall, and then he separates them into two groups, two great choirs, he says. Marching on the stones, singing praises to God, celebrating who he is and all that he's done for them, praising him for his faithfulness and his marvelous deeds. One choir goes to the right of the, on the wall, led by Ezra. The other one proceeds to the left with Nehemiah, both singing songs of thanksgiving until they both meet at the house of God. Verse 40, the temple, to sing in unity. And verse 42 says, all the singers sang. This is beautiful. You know, this word for choirs here in verses 31, 38, and 40 literally translates thanksgiving or offering. This is the only place that this Hebrew word is translated choir. Nehemiah appoints literally two thanksgivings to proceed around the walls until they unite as one communal thanksgiving. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but it is beautiful to consider how the people are literally a physical embodiment of thanksgiving to God. They are thanksgivings of God that sing thanksgivings to God. It's beautiful imagery. Now, did any of you catch something special going on here? The choirs are marching on the wall. This is the same wall that Tobiah the Ammonite in Nehemiah 4 was mocking them with. Remember his mockery? 
What is this? Even if a fox were to jump on this wall, it would fall. <laughs> How pathetic. What now, Tobiah? I'm not looking to gloat. I'll just leave that there. But I'm sure it felt good. Two choirs marching on the wall. This is no small thing that they have produced by the strength of God. The leaders march on the wall, singing songs of praise and thanksgiving to God while reclaiming these stones as precious, as God's holy possession. And verse 43 says, On that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, and they rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. You think Nehemiah is trying to show us something here? Joy, 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 joy. Five times. The NASB translation actually misses one five times. He says, rejoice. They offered great sacrifices and rejoiced. They rejoiced because God gave them great joy. Throughout this book, what we've seen is God, faithful to his word, he kept them, he delivered them, he reformed them, he blessed them, which caused his people to respond in faithfulness to him, in faithful service to him and to his work. Now, as the people gave themselves to serving God, serving one another, and accomplishing his work, he, well, Bakbukaya, he poured out his joy upon them. Their joy came from him. It was so overwhelming that it caused everyone to rejoice. Men, women, and children, everyone praising the Lord. Verse 43 says, their joy rang out. It rang out as a witness to the peoples of the land. Unlike the mixed sounds of joy and weeping in Ezra 3, that were heard far away. Here, this time, it was all pure joy and celebration going out. Pure joy heard far away. Family, joy in God is contagious. It's contagious. It radiates. God's joy in us radiates. Praise is contagious. You ever stand anywhere near Ian Redford when he's praising God here among us? That brother is full. You can hear it. You can hear it. 
Let it flow, bro. I don't know if you're here right now, but let it flow. He pours in, we pour out. And you know, family, the staff's been talking. That's right, we've been talking about you. Acknowledging, acknowledging the reality that your joy has been radiant these days. Your radiance in worship and song, like this very morning, is telling. Let it flow, fam. Let it flow. Fill up and pour out. That's what we do. He pours out and we pour out. Doing God's work in God's ways always results in joy and praise. The focus of this celebration here was not on what man has done, but what God has accomplished. There were no awards or plaques given out, no spotlights, no speeches from key leaders, no celebrity pastors streaming themselves for their followers, huh? That's right. Only praise and thanksgiving going up, going up to God because he is good and his steadfast love endures forever for those who love him. Amen. Let's close out the chapter reading 44 through 47. On that day, men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes, to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served. For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification, together with the singers and the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph, in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portions due, the singers and the gatekeepers, as each day required, and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites, and the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. Notice this, verse 44. On that day, that same day, the day of joyous dedication and celebration, what did they do? They appointed men for work. Why? to support the movement of God happening among them. They're building structures around the movement to sustain it long-term. That's what's going on here. How do they do that? How do they support the movement? By observing and keeping God's word. Look at how many times we see the nature of their obedience captured here. Verse 44. 
men appointed to gather portions as required by the law. Observe and serve. Verse 45, they performed or observed, same word, the worship or service of their God. Also, same word. That's interesting. Worship, service, same word, used interchangeably. And the service of purification. They performed the worship of their God and the service of purification. Again, observe, serve. Verse 47. So in all these days of post-exile, they gave the portions that were due as each day required. Observe, serve. They set apart, verse 47, that which was consecrated, the consecrated portions. Observe, serve. You see the theme here? In support of the movement of God among them? How do they sustain the movement long term? They observe and serve. They study his word and they practice his word. They do what he says. They hear God and they do what he says. They trust him. They're not merely hearing the word, they're doing it. Following in the steps of Ezra. Remember Ezra 7? He set his heart to study the law, practice it, and to teach it to others. This is important, family. Doing God's work in God's ways always results in joy and praise. Doing God's work in God's ways, not our own work in our own ways. It's not going to result in joy and praise. At least not the joy that comes from God that fills us to overflow and radiance. Not that joy. Maybe it'll be manufactured and even self-satisfying for a bit. But will not endure. Our culture says, do your work really well, in your ways, for you. Advance however you want, however you can. It's your life, your potential, yourself, your future, and you will be happy. And human history has shown us whether you believe in God or not, that's a lie. That's a lie. It's a vibrant, colored lure before us that will hook you and reel you in until you're held captive. That lie. Happiness is not found within yourself or your progress. 
That's not where happiness is found. The Wall Street Journal just published a poll that they recently conducted, just a couple weeks ago, that they recently conducted across the U.S. with the NORC of the University of Chicago. And in it, what was made clear in its findings is that the traditional values of our country that have served as the core of societal life for basically our country's lifetime are now falling away. I'm sharing this with you so that you can identify the lore before us. Traditional values in rapid decline are religious faith, practicing faith, that is. Not just believing in God. Believing in God is still a value. But practicing faith is a value in decline. Marriage, decline. Having children, showing tolerance for others, not requiring tolerance, that's still a value. Showing tolerance for others in decline. And community involvement, decline. These values, among others, are in significant decline. This poll showed us just a couple weeks ago. Much can be examined and discerned from this, but one common denominator that can be observed as a likely cause to this reality at large is me. I serve me. All these things hinder my advancement, my pursuit of joy, my pursuit of purpose, self-worth, value, and meaning. I do my work in my ways for my joy and my praise. That's the lore of the land. I do my work in my ways for my joy and my praise. That's the lore. Can you see it? Can you see it, family? There was, however, one value that has one value that has increased over the last 10 to 20 years. Can you guess what it is? Money. Surprised? Consistent? Family, this is the tank that we swim in. We can't change that. But we can be aware of it. We need to be. We cannot serve both God and money. Two different value systems, two different drives, two different results. One fleeting, the other enduring forever. Beware, beloved. Beware. So, how do we then navigate through our sea of self-centeredness and not get caught in its deadly snares? How do we press on doing God's work in God's ways in our pursuit of true joy and satisfaction in this life? 
Think about what we saw this morning. God's people seek him together at the temple, the house of God, purified, praising God and practicing his word. That's what we've seen this morning. A purified people praising and practicing. That's what we've seen. Likewise, we seek Jesus. Jesus, the one who said to his adversaries when asked to give them a sign of his authority in John 2, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then John comments, little did they know they were talking, he was talking about his body. And then when he resurrected from the dead, it all made sense. Happy Easter, fam. Volume 2. Christ Jesus came to show us he is the person and place where we go to meet God now. Where we worship him. He is the temple of God in the flesh, God dwelling among us in him. He's not only the true temple, he showed us that he is our great high priest who has come to give himself as the great and final sacrifice. Bakbukaya, I'm not even joking anymore. God poured out his judgment upon himself so that he could pour out his joy on us. Hallelujah. The Lord pours out. Christ Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and giving his life as a ransom for many. Whoever believes in his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins will be saved and forever united to him and one another in his eternal temple. Consider what we read this morning. Consider what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 now. Try to make the connections. As we come to him, we come to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a temple for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. Can you see the connections? The house of God and city that the people were rebuilding for God in the Old Testament is the city of God's people now in Christ Jesus. We are the new Jerusalem. We are his precious stones one by one making up his glorious temple. 
the church, every single one of us, infinitely valuable in his eyes and having a function and a role to perform. We're all priests now. He has purified us all once and for all by offering his life as our sacrifice. We are now God's holy city, his holy people, his holy own possession, so that we would offer up spiritual sacrifices and proclaim his name and his marvelous deeds to the world around us. Amen? It's beautiful. In view of God's mercy, we offer our whole selves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. This is our spiritual act of worship. We do not conform to the patterns of this world because we have been transformed. We receive his glorious grace in Christ Jesus and we respond in bakbuk, pouring ourselves out in praise and thanksgiving, love and good works, pouring ourselves out in selfless, sacrificial love and service to God, to one another, and carrying out the work that he's given us. We pour ourselves out, believe and receive, fill up and pour out. That's the life of the church together. Gospel in, gospel out. And our lives will embody praise and thanksgiving to the glory of God, amen? And our joy will be made complete. Doing God's work in God's ways always results in joy and praise. Hallelujah. I'm going to invite Benjamin to come back up. We have to close out in song after that passage. And his team, please come on up. I'll close out in prayer. And then we'll close by worshiping the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Lord Jesus, you are so good. You've poured yourself out for us. Fill us up, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts to see and behold the fullness of your love for us. Lord, as we read this text and see what you have come to fulfill in us and with us, we now, the temple, you, the cornerstone, we can't help but to look ahead. You have revealed to us that there will come a day when we are with you for all eternity, and there is no temple because you are there. There is no sun because you in all your brilliance and glory will shine brightly on us. There is no tears, blood, sweat, only increasing joy in your presence forever and ever long. Lord, we long for that day. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Send us out as witnesses, singing praises and thanksgiving, that you would be glorified in us and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah.